Hey everybody, welcome to the Mad Dog Pod. I'm Nate. I'm Andrew. I'm Gabe. And we're going to discuss and analyze hot topics and news about the Cleveland sports teams, the Indians, Browns, and Cavs. And also on occasion, we'll discuss major topics within the leagues that they play in so that we can like widen our view about what we're talking about and also see how the league affects our teams. All three of us are college students who grew up in the greater Cleveland area, and we're all huge fans of our Cleveland teams. Uh, we'll be doing two to three podcasts per week, and each Cleveland team will be covered at least one time per week. And after we do a couple of these podcasts, we'll have an actual schedule for when we're going to post our podcasts. Yeah, so we also don't want to just keep the discussions to ourselves. We have an Instagram account and a Twitter account, at MadDogPod on both. That's at MadDogPod on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, To try to give you an example of what our episodes will look like on a daily basis, we're now going to briefly discuss one topic for each of the teams and see where we go from there. And you can kind of get to understand what our opinions are on the teams and also what you can expect from future episodes. So occasionally we'll bring up a topic or a broad question about one of the teams and all three of us will give our take on it. So right now, what we're going to talk about is who we think the best Browns offseason acquisition is. Gabe, I'll pass it off to you to start it off. So it was no question this year that one of the biggest problems the Browns had was their offensive line, and in particular their left tackle position. Um, Left tackle Greg Robinson was trash on the field and is apparently trash off the field as well. But the guy I think that is the best offseason acquisition is Jedrick Wills by far. I think... He has the good hips and good feet and the technique and the drive to play left tackle. And I think he can be a franchise left tackle, something not maybe not as good as Joe Thomas was, but somewhere near there. Yeah, I think I definitely agree that left tackle was the position the Browns should be looking for in the draft. Like everyone can tell every team, every fan that since Joe Thomas retired, that's the biggest hole in our team. We kind of took for granted that we had a like certified left tackle for 10 straight years. No question, no injury. We just had someone that we could rely on. And now we need to look to replace it. One of my worries with Jedrick Wills, though, is that he was a right tackle in college and Uh, like blocking for Tua and on that amazing Alabama offensive line, which could have helped him out. So I'm kind of worried to see whether or not he can make the transition to left tackle smoothly and whether or not there'll be like some roadblocks in his transitioning and in his moving into the NFL, given that he's switching to a whole new side and a whole new system. Yeah, Transitioning to a new position is obviously difficult because it's not what you played, but I'm confident because the Browns offensive line coach is Bill Callahan, who was the former offensive line coach for the Dallas Cowboys. And when Tyron Smith was drafted, he was a right tackle coming out of college. And Bill Callahan helped move Tyron Smith over to a left tackle. And Tyron Smith has become one of the best left tackles in all of football. So I'm pretty confident Jedrick can make that step over to left tackle. It'll be interesting to see how Jedrick does, because when you look at the draft, there were so many like left tackles, offensive linemen, offensive tackles in the draft. And by the time it fell to us, they're, almost all of them were still on the board. So for Browns fans and for analysts within the NFL, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on the Browns pick because you're going to be able to compare Jedrick Will's performance directly to other players in the draft that we passed up on. And so I think this is going to be one of the most important picks for like the Browns to analyze because there's so many like alternatives that we had for options in the draft. But 
I think that going with Jedrick Wills will turn out right, and I think that he's going to be a good player. So, Andrew, who do you think the best offseason acquisition for the Browns was? Going into the draft, uh, the Browns at free safety had Sendejo and Redwine. And Sendejo is a pretty average to below average veteran safety. And Redwine, well, he was a young talent who everyone was sort of just banking on to step up in a major way this year, which is, you know, that's sort of a big risk. risk excuse me. Uh, but our safeties were a big hole in our defense last year, and getting someone to fill in that position is really important. So in steps uh, Grant Delpit from the second round. Grant Delpit's a very fast and athletic free safety. He's got a great IQ. He's an effective blitzer and can get really physical in coverage, and he can just destroy wide receivers uh, who are trying to go deep. So anyone um, see any issues with that? My only concern with Delpit is that his the season before this last one was really good, but this season in particular, he struggled with injuries and tackling. And one of the things Browns fan, Browns fans know is that we don't we have a problem tackling a lot. We've had a problem tackling with linebackers, corners. So I, I really don't want a guy that's just gonna miss tackles in the open field. Yeah, that is one issue with Grant Delpit is that you know, he can lay big hits and he can wrap up defenders nicely, but he's just very super inconsistent with it. And that's just one major big flaw in his game. But I think with uh, experience in the NFL, I think he can really work on that, especially. And he's already got the athletic ability and, you know, he's got some size to him to work on that. I think he can make a big step and uh, work on consistency with his tackling. Do you believe him when he says that the injuries were the problem with him, with his tackling? Because he was a really good tackler the year before and then this last year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he really probably could have sat out the entire year if he wanted to. But, I mean, they were such a good team that, like, he wanted to step in. So, I mean, he was he said he was playing with injury and multiple people within, you know, LSU said that he was playing injured a lot. So I think that really affects him. And, you know, when you're going against so many physical bodies in college like that and against really high competition, you can sort of see inconsistencies with tackling at the free safety position, especially running off an injury like that. So I do believe him. Going along with the topic of safeties, something that we like to do or we want to strive to do on our podcast is to bring the most up-to-date news possible and make sure that our takes are about what's happening right now with our sports teams and that we're staying up-to-date with everything going on. While recording, we just got a notification on all of our phones saying Jamal Adams has officially requested a trade from the Jets. This is something that I personally have been talking about for a while. I have certain issues with Odell Beckham Jr. and I want us or I've wanted us to like try to trade Odell maybe some other parts in the trade like picks or things like that for Jamal Adams and now that he's officially requested a trade it's something that the Browns should definitely at least discuss or try to make happen. What do you guys think about it? Um I from the Jets perspective if the Browns offer Odell Beckham Jr. for Jamal Adams I think that's probably one of the best trade offers they're, they're going to get, and I think they would accept it. You'd have to throw in a pick, probably. But uh, I think they would do it because they just lost Robbie Anderson to Carolina, and Quincy Anunua had a serious neck injury, and he's got the same neck injury that David Wright in baseball had that forced him to retire, and 
baseball is not nearly as physical as a, a sport as football is. So Quincy Nunez's career might be over. So they really don't have any wide receivers. That rookie though, they do have that a new rookie wide receiver that they did draft though. Yeah. So I mean, adding Odell would be somewhat yeah. good for them. They, I'm just saying they don't have a clear number one. And yeah. for Sam Darnold to have that clear number one would be really helpful. And it will probably open up Le'Veon Bell too. It would help so uh, corners aren't pushing up so much because they don't. There's no threat from the Jets to go over the top. Yeah, a big issue that the Jets did have last year was there was just no room for Le'Veon Bell to operate. He had like by far his worst statistical season yet, and that can come down to like offensive line issues. But I think a lot of it also was that like Sam Darnold just didn't have weapons to threaten an aerial attack, so teams were just locking down on Le'Veon, which really hurt their offense. In terms of the Browns, though, I don't think I'm ready to give up on Odo Beckham Jr. He was injured a lot last season. I think he still put up good production. Maybe not as much as we wanted him to, and he wasn't as big. He didn't have as big of an impact as we wanted him to. But I think I would give him another year, and I I trust Grant Delpit a little bit that whole that he will become a really good safety. And I don't know if you need Jamal Adams if you're giving up a pick in Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, I mean my take on it is like my so Miles Garrett, you know new staple of the Browns' defense in future, right? He was working with the Browns on uh, reportedly getting him a mega deal this offseason, right? And, I mean, for one, I think that's a great idea because Miles is, you know, one of the best ends in the league, right? And he'll, he will only get more expensive as time goes on. So that'll be great for us. However, one thing I saw was uh, Jamal Adams responded to this report about Miles Garrett and he said that he brought a proposal to the Jets uh, for a mega deal, just like Miles Garrett. And uh, they kind of just laughed at him and called him selfish, which that's just stupid for the Jets because, you know, Jamal Adams is one of the, if not the best safeties in the league right now. And he's got a great future ahead of him. And he was going to be, you know, the staple of the Jets defense in the future. And now they really don't have much. All right, so moving on now from uh, what is a dumpster fire, as in the New York Jets, let's uh, pass it on to Nate for his take on the best Browns offseason acquisition. So I'm a big Michigan State fan, which might be weird coming from someone from Cleveland, but Gabe and Andrew can attest to this. I've been talking about Jack Conklin since he was in college. I wanted us to draft him in the first place, maybe trade up. I'm pretty sure we might have even traded the pick that was Jack Conklin for the Titans, or somehow we had a way in getting like losing Jack Conklin in that draft. And now he's finally made it back to Cleveland. He's one of my favorite players in the NFL. And I think he was the perfect signing to sure up the right side of our uh, offensive line. And I think he'll be a big help for the Browns. He's like a hardworking player. He's had injuries in the past, but he's also played at a Pro Bowl level. And we got him for like a decent contract. Yeah, I agree that the talents there and, and the price we got him for is pretty good in terms of the value he was set to get in free agency. It, my only concern is just the ACL tear that he had. I just if he could stay healthy, we know he's going to be a great addition to the line. Yeah, I feel like like it's a great signing. 
you can only like see what happens with his injuries and i feel like that might have been too obvious of one like that's probably the first thing everyone looks at is just like oh we fixed our offensive line so my actual choice for what our best offseason move was it's something that when it first happened a lot of people were talking about it a lot of people were questioning it and then as we signed players Everyone kind of ignored it, didn't really speak about it. I think the best move we made was getting Kevin Stefanski as our head coach. I think that, like, not only does he suit Baker Mayfield perfectly with play action, giving him a lot of options on the field, and also giving him more time by, like, using the threat of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to scare defenses away, make them drop back, make them be more worried. And... Uh, the addition along with that of Austin Hooper to fit into Kevin Stravansky's system is amazing. We're building a team around his system that I think can succeed on the field. What do you guys think about Stefanski? Yeah, I really like uh, how he really does fit this Browns offense. Like using play action almost every, like almost every play, like with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in that backfield, like we could be a serious threat on offense this season. Um, yeah, I agree with the play action. Like the Browns ran, I think they were the they didn't run any play action last year. I think they were one of the lowest yeah. teams in terms of play action percentage. And Kevin Stefanski obviously one of the highest. And the, I was a big Josh McDaniels guy. I thought he was more proven, and I was unsure about the first year head coach. But I think another thing that's important is Baker Mayfield transitioning into a new system. And I think what's going to really help is Case Keenum, who was in that system who is under Kevin Stefanski, knows that system and can help push Baker into that system. With Njoku, Hooper, Hunt, Chubb, I mean, play action is going to be the bread and butter this year for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I think that's something that's super important to look at too. Like if you look at Baker early on in his career, he really liked throwing to players like Njoku and players like Landry. And I think giving him like guaranteed yards, guaranteed passes with two tight ends on the field the majority of the time because in Stefanski's system, I think it was around 60% of snaps had two tight ends on the field. I think that's just going to give Baker more confidence. He's going to know that like he has Austin Hooper that he can just throw it to on like a short route anytime he wants. And it also frees up the field for yeah. all of our playmakers when you have those two big threats going down the middle. It means Odell is going to be less focused on by defenses. It means that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt can be getting more yards and more runs because everyone's scared that we're that Baker's just going to pull the ball and lob it up to Odell for a touchdown or lob it up to Austin Hooper. So I think it just frees up our offense and makes us less predictable than we were under a certain predictor. Especially with the play-action rollouts, with shoring up those two uh, right side and left side with Wills and Conklin, you it really creates a strong offensive line there. Um, also, Baker Mayfield threw into a lot of short windows, tight windows, and I think this play-action system of Stefanski will create more open space like you said Mm -hmm. yeah another thing on top of that that we can even add is obviously everyone has had their doubts and their worries about Baker Mayfield in the past year because he underperformed I personally think that most of that is because of Freddie Kitchens and I'm expecting a big year from Baker this year and I still have the utmost confidence that he can be like the Browns feature franchise quarterback but we won't really dive into that in this episode but Even if Baker is going to fail, I think Stefanski's system is a good fallback on us having like an underwhelming quarterback because it gives them easier passes. It makes it easier for the quarterback. Like, and also our backup is going to be Case Keenum, who like literally made it to the playoffs with this system. And he had a run in the playoffs 
maybe it shouldn't have happened, but they knocked out the Saints. So we have a proven quarterback with this system who can get it done if Baker fails. So I think overall, Stefanski was probably our best signing, and he's going to work out great for the offense that we have and the personnel that we have. All right, I think we're now going to wrap it up on the Browns. We talked about them for a while, and now we're going to move into the Indians. Uh, sometimes what we'll be doing on the podcast is talking about like an uber specific topic and rather than each of us giving like an answer like we want this player this player was the best we'll just have like an overall discussion sometimes it'll turn into a debate about what we think about that topic rather than giving like super definitive answers like I said so now with the Indians obviously we don't even know what's happening with the MLB season the main thing that Indians fans and the organization are most worried about right now I would say is Francisco Lindor, and what's going to happen with him in the future. So, Andrew, do you want to kick us off, talk about what you think we should do with Lindor? Yeah, so I know I'm not the most knowledgeable about baseball here, but uh, I do really like Lindor as a player and as an image for the Cleveland Indians. Like, I know he's been our franchise player for, you know, a couple years now and really has a great future. He's still somewhat young, and I, I really think that we should get this signing done. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think, like... Adding on to that, Francisco Lindor has been a staple within the Indians for the past four to five years. He came up through the Indians. He's a player that like every single Indians fan loves. No one has issues with him. He's great for us in terms of like marketability, and he's great for us for advertisement. He's a big name within the league as a whole, which sometimes is hard for like a small market team like the Indians to get on their roster, especially given the salary, like the lack of salary cap within the MLB. So I think that like Francisco Lindor is most definitely a player we should lock down. He can hit in the one spot. He can hit as a three. He's got power. He can hit for contact. And he's the best defensive shortstop. I don't think people would argue with me saying that. And arguably, unless like maybe Nolan Arenado, he's arguably the best defensive player in the MLB. He's been getting platinum gloves for a couple years, gold gloves. He's even getting silver sluggers. He can do it all. I think he's someone that we should lock up. Gabe, what would what do you think about like the logistics of us lot like getting a deal done with Francisco Francisco Lindor, especially considering the like coronavirus climate? We don't know what's happening with the MLB. What are your takes on it? Yeah, I think it all depends on what the players' union and the MLB agree on the proposed uh, format. If they agree on the sixty-game proposed format, I don't see how you really can get a trade done for Lindor at least this season because no one's going to take on his money for maybe uh, 30 games after 30 games this season. So it's really not viable to trade him this off se- this season. And then he would have one year left uh, before free agency next season. So you really aren't going to get a max value for him that you would have if you traded him last season. So depending on what you get, you might be forced to try and re-sign him. Uh, if you don't think you can't, so th- they could the Indians could possibly re-sign him if the proposed deal... Because with the proposed MLB deal because players aren't going to be able to demand the certain amount of money they would have before. Like Mookie Betts, uh, MVP caliber player, would have been able to garner $400 million. With the current climate of the MLB and the economic of it, economics of it, he's not going to be able to command that type of money. And Lindor won't be able to command that type of money. So as unfair it is, Lindor is going to have to take less money than he would have originally taken. And I think that benefits the Indians, but it also depends. Does he really want to be here? Does he want to go to a big market? And 
if he does, if you know he's going to leave, you got to try and trade him next season for whatever you can get. Yeah, I think that's something that's going to be interesting and crucial to like the Indians' decision on Lindor is whether or not he actually wants to be here. Obviously, in the media, he's been saying he wants to be in Cleveland. He's the one who's instigating and trying to start contract negotiations this spring. He was the one doing that, but the Indians couldn't give him a number that was like remotely close to what he wanted. So if Lindor is telling the truth and he actually wants to be in Cleveland, which I personally want to believe in him, I do believe him. I think he would not mind staying in Cleveland, whereas other players in the past may want to go to a Los Angeles, to a New York, to a Boston, so that they can get into those big market situations. I think Lindor will be an amazing signing for the Indians long term if we can get him right now, because not only does the current pandemic and the current uncertainty within the MLB mean that Lindor's price is going to be dropped, but I think Lindor as a player because he says he wants to stay in Cleveland and because he seems like a guy kind of like Ronald Acuna who would be willing to take a longer term deal that's worth less money, I think we can get Lindor on an amazing friendly contract for the Indians that will help us have a locked up spot at shortstop for the next like hopefully 10 years but at least like two to three years and it'll help us maintain our current core to a point where we can continue winning. Because if you look at the Indians roster, like, yes, we traded Kluber and Bauer in the past year. Yes, we didn't sign back Michael Brantley. But if you look at our roster, we had an underperforming Jose Ramirez last year, who I think is going to bounce back and have a pretty good year this year. Get back close, even if he gets close to the almost MVP levels he used to be playing at. That's an amazing third baseman that we have locked up long term if you can add Lindor to that we have some amazing young pieces in our uh, like starting rotation we have some amazing young pieces in the outfield and we've had some good draft picks recently that hopefully will make the Indians be able to like compete with the big teams but like we said we'll have to see what's happening with the MLB to see what's going to happen with Lindor yeah um also something to take into account is obviously the farm system of the Indians I two of their top 15 prospects are shortstops or infielders you have Chang who is cute can play second base or shortstop um and also we just drafted Carson Tucker yeah first overall who looks to be pretty good yeah and it could be signs of the time that the Indians realize that they're not gonna be able to keep Lindor and they're gonna put their they're gonna put their faith in some young players coming up and you could also see maybe moving Jose at short. It's a possibility. I don't see them doing it, but it is a possibility. So there's multiple options they can go with it. I don't know if I trust Lindor and him saying he wants to be here because I thought you know other players wanted to be in Cleveland and they actually didn't. I mean, we just have to look back at like Carlos Boozer with the Cavs, and he literally said he was going to sign back, and then he just decided to go to Utah of all places like but I I really I want the Indians to re-sign Lindor but I'm not as hopeful as maybe you guys are yeah I think that's something that like we all agree on and I think every Indians fan and every person in Cleveland except the Dolans agrees on is that like under every circumstance which we can we should offer him as much money as he wants and get him back on the team but I also think that like like Gabe said the development of the Indians and the type of prospects we like to look at will affect our decision. Like you've seen in the past, we have just totally traded and ditched so many like Cy Young level uh, pitchers because we are amazing at producing pitchers. Like 
Cliff Lucy, Sabathia, we were fine giving up Kluber. on both of them. Kluber, Bauer, within the last year, we gave up on them because we bring in new pitchers every single year. And that's how our farm system works. We focus on like strong arm starting pitchers and middle infielders, which means that the most expendable players in our roster are always our starting pitchers and our middle infielders. So it'll be interesting to see if like draft picks like Carson Tucker and people within our farm system right now are going to affect our decision with Francisco Lindor, like people like Savale and Clevenger and Shane Bieber affected our decision. And yeah, Plesak affected our decision with players like uh, Kluber and Bauer, because obviously if you know that your like farm system is good at producing a certain position, you're going to be more likely to give up on that position. So unfortunately, the Indians' ability to produce high-level middle infielders and also left-sided infielders, so third baseman as well, like Yandi Diaz, Giovanni Urshela, they didn't turn out for us, but now they're both yeah. beasts. So like the our ability to produce those positions sadly makes it less likely that we keep like an MVP level player in those positions because we know we've got somebody coming up. But like we said, and like it's kind of been with every topic, we have to see what happens with coronavirus. We have to see how the league responds, what the players agree on. I think the one beneficial thing we can all agree on is Lindor's on social media right now talking about how like he wants the league to come back. He, I think he posted a picture on Instagram like two days ago where he said like, Players want to play. Coaches want to play. League, just get us on a field, and I'll be putting, like, my. I'll go all out. So it's a good thing that Lindor wants to play. I doubt he will, like, refuse to play for contracts. We just have to see what happens. I hope Lindor stays with what he's saying, wants to be a Clevelander, and everyone hopes we can sign him long term. I feel like we've exhausted all that we can really talk about with Lindor at this time with like the information we have. Like they're not even considering like they're not even talking about contracts right now. So Gabe, do you want to lead us into our discussion of the Cavs? Yeah. Uh, so unlike with the Browns, where we discussed uh, what they added to their roster and who they added to their roster, with the Cavs, I want to discuss what we hope they add to their roster through the draft this year. Um, I personally want to see Obi Toppin in a Cavs uniform this next season. Uh, mainly because I think one of our big problems was we thought Shetty Osman was going to take a step forward, and he really hadn't. And we really have a hole at small forward more than any position. So we have Kevin Love at power forward and Drummond at center because I'm expecting he's going to pick up his player option. So we have those two. And then we have Garland and Sexton. So me, the biggest hole is small forward. And with Obi Toppin, we know he can score. And we know he can rebound. The only problems really is that with two guards that don't really pass the ball, Obi isn't really known for his passing either. So it's going to be my only issue would be it might be a very stagnant offense, a lot of iso ball. But uh, if Obi can just improve on his shooting, I think he's going to be an all-star for years to come. I think he's that talented. He's that physically gifted to be that great. Um, who do you guys think? Who do you guys think you want? Well, I, I probably I, my pick would be Obi Toppin. I think he fits our roster like decently well, assuming like Garland can become a more of a playmaker or Sexton can. That is like one major hole we have. We don't have like an out and out playmaker, someone we can just give the ball and know that they're gonna make something happen. Garlands are improving at the end yeah. of the season. So I think I think Garland like if the Cavs have faith in Garland, I personally like am iffy on him. I don't know whether I like him or not. Which like. That'll make sense when I say what my pick is. But when we're talking about Obi, something that might worry me is 
Obi, even it, I think he's like six eight to six ten. He's six in that range. Yeah, he's six nine, and he's but he's like a bigger six nine. Like he's uh he's like a stocky six, guy. Six nine two. So I think something that might worry me with Obi Toppin is like our ability to like shift defensively if we're playing Obi at the three, because like we have two tiny guards right now, like Garland and Sexton, like not even talking about how bad they are at defense. They're really small, and Obi's a pretty big guy. And, like, obviously, Kevin Love and Drummond, they're not going to be switching onto a guard. They're, like, pretty old. They're not that mobile. They aren't Drummond's good. Drummond's young, but yeah, Kevin yeah, but Love the, can. They're not good at perimeter defense, and they're not, like, very quick. Yeah. So the ability for us to switch from, like, Colin Sexton guarding Obi Toppin's man might be a little bit problematic and is something that, like, Obi by himself is good defensively, but with the players that we have, unless he's starting at power forward or we're able to like fit KPJ into the starting lineup somewhere, I think it might be a little bit of a worry having like two really small guys and then three really big guys and nobody in between. Okay. So for me, my pick would be Isaac Okoro out of Auburn. So he's standing at 6'6 and 225 pounds. Right, so he can play that three position, and he's got the ideal physical tools to just be a great overall NBA wing. He's a he was very great and impactful on defense in college. He's really got a, he can shut down you know your number one at his height. Uh, so I mean, really, you look at his lateral quickness and really just the strength that he brings. He's got a he's got your sort of you know Kawhi Leonard type build. Maybe not as you know big or uh, as impactful as you know Kawhi Leonard, but I think he could if he really develops well and he's still very young. I think he really could step up to be one of those like Kawhi Leonard type builds, which is kind of exactly what the Cavs need right now. We have the scoring and possibly the playmaking. And we do have a great big in Andre Drummond for rebounding, and Kevin Love can still rebound. But uh, I think adding a uh, great defensive player at wing, you know, to replace Chetty Osman would would uh, really help out the Cavs, especially if he steps up big in this. If we draft him and get him in this first year, and he steps up, like that would be really major for us. But uh, so one thing with Okoro though is his shooting. Yeah. You know, he's not a great perimeter shooter, but to be honest, we have the scoring ability on our team right now, I would say, to, you know, he's a, like, he's a great two-way player, right? So he can score, especially slashing ability-wise, but I think we already have great perimeter shooters in Sexton and, you know, possibly Garland. Kevin Porter Jr. is a great shooter. You know, Kevin Love is a great shooter. And, you know, Dylan Windler could turn up to be a really good shooter. We just need that defense at the three position. The only problem I'll have is that with a, uh, a wing guy that can't really shoot, it really takes away what you can do in the post because they're going to sag off. So Kevin Love, if we think he will be sort of long-term, yeah, that all depends what we do. But if he's going to stay here, you cannot use Drummond or Love in the post with a Coro out on the wing because his defenders will sag off and deny ball the entire yeah. time. So that's the only problem. It takes away one part of your offense completely. Especially if Kevin Love isn't a long-term part of the team and like maybe we keep like stick with Tristan Thompson or like Larry Nance is put into the starting lineup. That might become an even bigger of an issue when we don't have someone like Kevin Love who like even if he does like point of post sometimes, he's also a, like an amazing shooter who would be able to stretch the floor. 
So going into my pick, I I would say that I'm a pretty big NBA fan, but nowhere near Andrew and Gabe. So I'm gonna go with like the cloudy choice, and I'm gonna pick Lamelo Ball. I think. I personally dislike Darius Garland. I didn't like the draft pick. I don't think he fits that well with Sexton. And even if he be- turns into an amazing playmaker and like an all-around great player, I don't think him and Sexton will work together long-term. And if I'm the Cavs and I'm picking between Sexton and Garland, I'm going to pick Sexton. He's a much harder worker. He's a better scorer. Even if he isn't good defensively, he at least puts in more work defensively than someone like Darius Garland. And overall, like Sexton is just someone I want on my roster. He's like a guaranteed bucket at this point. He's shooting at like levels that Devin Booker was shooting at at the same time in his career. And I really like the trajectory of Sexton. And I think... And also, I love KPJ, and I don't want KPJ out of the starting lineup. So I'm going to the point guard position. Obviously, if we do this, we're either like going to have to bench Darius Garland or just trade him for someone. I don't know how that would work. This is kind of a fantasy pick. But I personally think a partnership of Colin Sexton and LaMelo would work out really well. You plug in any member of the Ball family except like Leangelo, and that automatically fixes <laughs> all of your yeah Orlevar, <laughs> and that automatically fixes all of your playmaking issues. Lonzo and Lamelo, as soon as Lamelo's in the league, will be two of the best playmakers in the league. Lamelo has shown in the past, whether in high school or overseas, that he's a great passer. He's also got a great shot, and one really good positive about Lamelo is he's bigger for a guard, which makes up for the fact that we're playing like a really small Colin Sexton at shooting guard. LaMelo can guard the bigger guards and let Sexton sag off on defense. We've seen Lonzo develop into an amazing perimeter defender in the NBA. Hopefully LaMelo can follow the same trajectory. And I just think he would be a great add for the Cavs, liven up our team, make it more interesting, and just bring some more fans, well, we don't need more fans, but bring more attention to Cleveland and the rebuild that we're making right now. Yeah, especially on the Nationals. The only problem, what you said, what I really like about Lamel is that he's a 6'7 point guard, which you don't see a lot of, and he's very athletic, and I think he averaged about one steal, 1.5 steals per game, which is pretty good, and he's a... He's really good rebounder for also for a point guard, yeah. which yeah. is really nice. The only problems I have is his shooting. He shot twenty five percent from three point from the three point line yeah. uh, in, the, in, in his international play. And he averaged about seven threes per game, so yeah. that's really not good. And he averaged thirty eight percent field goal percentage. So yeah, just going off of that, I mean, I just wanted to say that you know Lamelo Ball. I mean, some of his struggles are somewhat of what, uh, what we see about Darius Garland. Other than, I mean, defense and size. I mean, Darius Garland, he's really got no defense whatsoever. Lamelo is, he's big and he can play defense. It's just sometimes he struggles with, you know, trying to play defense and the effort level. It, and uh, so also, um, you know, he has the same sort of, you know, playmaking style uh, offense that we see with Darius Garland, you know, but some of his efficiencies on shooting, like Gabe said, is really just an issue for me. Uh, and he can just kind of be a ball hog, I'd say, you know, and we don't really need that with Colin Sexton already, you know. I don't know if it's a ball hog, but well, he, gets, he gets into his zone and he just yeah, he yeah. sort of isolates himself. Yeah, yeah. I think something interesting with a player like LaMelo would be 
is that like yes obviously right now he's like chucking up shots he seems pretty lazy he doesn't look like he's working hard on the court but if you look at the situation he's in right now he's playing with a bunch of nobodies in the euro league his dad was the coach of one of his teams for a while like his the way he's told to play right now to get fans to go to their games and to get attention to their team is like Lamelo, take the ball do whatever the heck you want with it chuck up shots you don't need to play defense like this is all you and that's what we saw with lonzo a little bit at ucla and definitely at chino hills so lonzo came into the league with the same kind of mentality the same kind of worries that like he's not that efficient of a shooter because he just like doesn't know when to shoot he chucks at whatever he wants but lonzo slowly developed into learning how to play better lonzo slowly become more mature in the league and that's the one thing that I think could be really good with LaMelo is if he follows that same sort of trajectory where he matures, he stops chucking up stupid shots, he starts playing team basketball, and he starts putting in more effort defensively, he could be an amazing player. The one issue is like LaMelo's attitude. We don't know how he's going to react to being put into a city like Cleveland. and We don't know how he's going to react to being put into a system where he can't just do whatever he wants on the court. He has to be a team player. But that's a risk that I personally think the Cavs should take. But I see why a like less risky pick like Obi Toppin would definitely be appealing for the Cavs who are I'll, trying to get like guaranteed players. I'll say this: it's good that he played uh, for the uh, for some Illora Hawks or something like that. I, yeah. I can't pronounce the name correctly, but it's good that he played against that sort of competition because you can make the argument that that competition is better than what you see in college. So I. Playing against grown men, I think, will be good for him. So the transition won't be as hard for him, I think, towards the NBA. But he did only play 12 games there. So. Yeah, but also, we're forgetting one huge issue here is that we have Darius Garland at point guard right now. Yeah. And, you know, he has a great bond with Kevin Porter Jr. and Colin Sexton. You know, they, him and Kevin Porter Jr. said that they want to build a dynasty in Cleveland together. So... If we did, you know, use our draft pick on Lamelo, it would sort of just be giving up on Darius Garland, and that sort of just be a waste of well, a draft pick, I'd say. And I, I mean, I to be honest, I'd rather just stick with Darius Garland and see if he turns out to be the playmaker yeah. and shooter that we want him to be and thought he would be. You know, it's only been one year, and I would say that going with a forward here. You know, whether it's Okoro or uh, Obi Toppin, you know, I think that's just the better and smarter move for the Cavs because uh, that's just one huge uh, hole that we have right now. Yeah, personally, I don't like the situation we got us into by drafting back-to-back guards in like w- with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. I think it was pretty silly of us to draft a point guard last year when like this year is probably the best point guard draft we've ever seen. Like there's so much depth within the point guard position. But now that we are in the situation where we did draft the point guard, we do have Darius Garland, it might be pretty foolish to go and take a Lamella ball. Like I said when I started this out, I personally, like this is a fantasy pick, we would have to get rid of Garland somehow, or like I guess we could try playing Lamella at the three with Garland at the one, but I don't think that's going to work. Like I don't think Lamella would work as like a small forward like forward playmaker. So we'll, we'll have to see what the Cavs do. I don't think LaMelo's likely. Yeah, one thing, so now I just want to transition to this. Just uh, So the Cavs right now have a 14% chance, along with Golden State, Minnesota, for the number one pick, right? If the Cavs do get that number one pick, and, you know, there's the top talent in Anthony Edwards right at the top, you know, 
Everyone says that he's going to be the best player in this draft. Do you guys think that the Cavs would be pressured at all into taking Anthony Edwards at one if we do get the number one pick, right? Because we already have Sexton and KPJ at shooting guard. And Windler could do And Windler is also yeah, a shooting guard slash small forward. So do you think the Cavs, if number one pick, do you think they would get Anthony Edwards? You also have Exum tied up for a little bit. Um, but I... I, his talent is really good, and I think he's going to be a really good player. A really great player, actually. Uh, but he just... I would love to put him at the small forward, but he's just not tall enough to be the small forward. And with undersized guards that we have, you can't put an undersized person at the small forward position. So what I would think, if you really want to get rid of Kevin Love, a great way to equalize that massive contract he has is offer up a talent like Anthony Edwards. I don't know who you would give it to. I don't know who would be interested in it. Uh, you know, Portland maybe. You do the McCollum swap. Possibly. Maybe he's taller and could play the small forward, I think. I'd have to check again, though, on his height. But maybe. But I just, if you want to offload that Kevin Love contract, there's not going to be a better situation than pairing your first round pick. And you'll actually get something back for that. Um, if not, then you'll probably be stuck for him for another year. Mm-hmm. and have to eat his salary and try and do it next year. Yeah, especially if we are locked into the position where we are number one. Obviously, it's a great problem to have, but I don't think any Cavs fan would say that Anthony Edwards is actually going to help us out. I don't think he fits our team whatsoever, and I think it would be a problematic pick for us. Sadly, I do like I could very well see the Cavs having the number one overall pick and like just out of guilt or like out of like I guess thinking we have to us picking Anthony Edwards, yeah. I don't think it would be a good idea, but I could see it happening for the Cavs. Okay, never mind what I said about CJ McCollum. He's six three, yeah. so yeah. No, I mean, yeah, they're not both, they're not gonna high. not gonna happen. But yeah, so see, running CJ at the, the small board just yeah, not be no, a good no, idea no. in general. I thought he was taller, but yeah, he's not. No. All right, I think we're going to wrap up our discussion of the Cavs for now. Obviously, we don't know the draft order. order. Lottery hasn't happened. We don't even know like what's going to happen with the NBA. Look, Get ready for another video to come out or another podcast to come out later when we actually do know all those factors. We'll probably be discussing the draft again and what we want the Cavs to do. Thank you all for listening. Be on the lookout for more of our podcasts on Spotify Music, on Apple Music, and maybe on other platforms. we got to see what we're able to do. Also, remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. It's at MadDogPod on both Instagram and Twitter. Thank you.